Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Peach Pundit Podcast, where we sit around and talk about Georgia politics. And tonight, we are missing our third wheel, Jason Pye, who is off on his first vacation in Lord knows how long. The guy works so hard. Yeah. And he deserves a break, especially from us, because we needle him to death from our conservative <laughs> political point of view. All done and in our, love, though. It's done all, with love. And so we miss you, Jason, but we understand. Take some time for you. Come back to us maybe some other time. We're going to have some real fun, though, because Buzz and I are here. Buzz Brockway, ladies and gentlemen. Yo. Boston hello. Rockway is yep. in the house. And uh, we're going to start out, right? We're, gonna, we're coming in hot, Buzz. We're coming in hot. We're going right. to talk about Stacey Abrams. Let's do it. So uh, Stacey Abrams was a feature of a Newsweek piece, which uh, became the subject of a lot of conversation here in Georgia in our politics. And uh, she went ahead, or a very close advisor of hers, said that Stacey's plan for anybody who's paying attention is to become the first female African-American governor in the country and then run for president in 2024, which by my watch is just like three years from now. So no real plan to stay as governor f- through a full term, even if Joe Biden decides he's not going to run for reelection. But her advisor is out there making that statement. And that which uh, is didn't the advisor say or 2028 if Biden runs again. Right. Which would but mean that's that she a, would... a threat to primary vice president Harris. Right. Correct. That's a uh, yeah. So that's the big news with Stacey Abrams is running for governor, according to a a source who describes himself as a close advisor with a plan to abandon the office in two years if Biden doesn't run for reelection. <laughs> what what do you make of that? Well, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. You know, you couple this with uh, a polls polls that show a lot. You know, Democrat many growing number of Democrats, growing number of people don't want Biden to run again. Uh, of course, this you know these things ebb and flow. He's not very popular right now. That could, of course, turn around, you know, two years is a lifetime in politics. But it, it, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's very interesting because it's, it's not a this, – this source close to Abrams was not named. And so it's not an on-the-record quote, right? It's well, it's, a, it was I mean, on background. I mean, Bluestein. It's a background, it's a background yeah. quote. So why won't anybody <laughs> – in state, why won't Stacey Abrams or anybody in her camp come out and say publicly that she's running for governor? So that, that that's still very curious to me. And I think, you know, we talked about it last week on the podcast, you know, the events of Virginia and New Jersey, even though the, even though the Republican did not win in New Jersey, Murphy, the Democrat hung on, um, <laughs> essentially made up 16 points in New Jersey. And, uh, uh, you know, a 12 point turnaround in Virginia. That's not the, the uh, generic, a, a generic ballot, congressional ballot that I saw last week from a, a pollster showed a Republican plus eight. Uh, I don't, uh, that's, that's astounding. Those are not the kind of numbers you normally see. All, uh, my point is, all these things are lining up that uh, 2022, not shaping up to be a banner year for Democrats. Does Stacey want to risk running uh, when she very well could lose? Well, that's just it. Is is the political capital that co- that she would expend, and then losing would damage her ultimate goal of becoming president of the United States? You cannot. That, you cannot win. I don't think you can win a, re- a Democratic nominee with that field of ambitious individuals who have a better right. record of winning than you do. Twice losing to Brian Kemp. Twice losing to Brian Kemp in the eyes of Democrats, right, would right. be just mo- a monumental failure. Right now, now I, I happen to think Governor Kemp's a good governor, so um, I, yeah. I would have a different view than the average Democratic voter in in those instances. But that being said, the risk is great, and if her ultimate goal is to be POTUS, she'd only be in office for two years if Biden doesn't run. And there are a lot of indicators, I think, that Biden potentially doesn't run. Yeah, You know, there's a lot of indicators because, I mean, the man's mental health, it's hard for to I remember as a kid watching Joe Biden on Meet the Press 
And I didn't really know anything about differences in philosophy at that point in time. You know, I was 10 or 12 years old, right? right. But I'm watching him and I was like, I like Joe Biden as a 12 year old boy. I like him because he's so articulate and, yeah. and he says his, you know, he's, he's quick on his feet and he knows how to answer these questions in a way. I was like, that is really an amazing talent. Like he is really good at this particular job, sitting yeah. down and being on uh, quick on his feet. That Joe Biden no longer exists. Like no. that is, that is a, that is, that guy has been gone and he's been gone for a very, very long time. Yeah. What we have now is a guy who is, who is a gaff machine who is constantly either presenting an incomplete thought that can be spun in a very negative way or is saying things that are like corn pop crazy, if you <laughs> yes. know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. there are a lot of indicators, I think, just, you know, I'm not, I don't have any personal knowledge. I'm on the outside looking in that maybe he doesn't serve a second term. Maybe he decides. Yeah to hang it up. Maybe he grooms somebody to take his place. Maybe it may be that person, Stacey Abrams, but how do you, with all due respect to Kamala Harris, how do you get from point A to point B? Um, if you're Stacey Abrams and having lost next year, because it doesn't look good. The, the easiest campaign to run against Stacey Abrams right now in Georgia is see all the things that Terry McAuliffe said about you and your children not having access to our, our ultimate decision making power over your children's education. Well, that's yeah. what Stacey thinks, too. You know, and and tying that to her would be a death sentence here, I think. Yeah. Politically. Well, right. And, and the whole, you know, the whole hypocrisy about stolen elections. You know, Trump running around, we, you know, Scott, you and I have been very critical of Donald Trump and his claims that the election was stolen. But Stacey Abrams has made that into a, 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 a very profitable, I was going to say a cottage industry, but it's not, it's a very profitable industry. Her claims that she was uh, wrongfully denied the uh, governorship of Georgia right. by, by nefarious means. Right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. The, 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 the t terminology I have used to describe that in the past has been the road that Donald Trump traveled was paved by Stacey Abrams. Yeah. And they're both guilty of that. So uh, would either of them in the future accept the results if they weren't the ultimate winner? Right. You know, and and how, how does she she's not the right person to to make the argument against somebody that's making the, the argument that the election was stolen. You, you know, the, the, liber, the liberals would not be able to continue to point the finger and laugh at Republicans who say that, right? Right. Well, and, and for, I mean, you look back to the Virginia race, I mean, Terry McAuliffe for years, and he, he reiterated it during this campaign, there's all manner of elections that he thinks were stolen. And he, he rambled on and on about how George Bush uh, wasn't the true leg legitimate president way back in 2000. This, he was talking about this in the weeks leading up to the uh, his uh, loss to Glenn Youngkin. Right. So, you know, that's other that's further fodder for Brian Kemp. Uh, if if Abrams were to run, you know, do, does she think yeah. that George Bush stole the election? You know, does she agree? The, the phrase back then in 2000 was that Bush was selected, not elected. So, yeah, I mean, all manner of stuff you, you can just hammer on that. And, of course, you know, uh, there, there's plenty of things to, uh, you know, I, I know Democrats have lionized her. And, look, you know, Scott, you and I both serve with her. She's a very intelligent person, a very She's skilled very politician. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there is this hard turn to the left that she has taken. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's not it's Georgia may be a purple state. It is not a hard left state. And that that is the national image that Stacey Abrams has projected these last few years. Uh, I, I just don't think that. And, and it was only because of voter suppression. Yeah. That we lost two U.S. Senate seats. Right. But it was a different different type of voter suppression. But uh, yeah. we'll move on from Stacey. We suppressed ourselves. Is yeah, well, exactly. We did it to ourselves. <laughs> uh, we'll move on from Stacey and talk about another guy who's, who's thinking about running for governor, ha had been rumored. We talked about it at length last podcast, and that is a former Senator David Perdue, who yeah. had been making phone calls to donors who had make and and by all accounts, through the grapevine, you and I both heard from several people who were saying, yeah, he's definitely thinking about running. I gave a very passionate 
plea to Senator Purdue saying, if you want a better legacy than you have today, it can be that you helped unite us behind Governor Kemp. He Sounds goes like down. He heard your your cries, Scott. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if, if the senator uh, uh, listens to Peach Pundit podcast, but I can tell you that he goes down to Brunswick, the Golden Isles, and he meets with the Republican women's group down there, and he says these words: "We already have a governor, and I want a united Republican Party." I was almost like I was reading what I said on the podcast last week. You've been uh, moonlighting as a, a, a David Perdue speechwriter. You, you know, I've met him as, as a handful of times, and I doubt he'd recognize me or tell you, be able to tell you my name. <laughs> uh, that being said, I was really impressed by those words. What do you make of them? Well, I think uh, that's the you're, you're exactly right, Scott. That's the message that leaders in the Republican Party need to be sending. Kudos to him for saying that. Um, and I, I, I hope that he doesn't run. I, I have a lot of respect for, for David Perdue. Uh, I think his, his term in office was uh, a very good one. He, he set out there to, to try to work on the things that he said he was going to work on. And uh, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make headway on the national debt, which is an issue is very, uh, that he was very passionate about. But uh, he, he accomplished many other things, and I think he, he represented Georgia well, and I was just very disappointed when he lost. But, um, yeah, I, I hope he doesn't run because this is not what we need right now. Well, the bad news is that, according to Bluestein on Twitter and in, I think at the jolt for the AJC, is that there are people who are close to Senator Purdue who are now trying to walk back those statements. You know, they're trying to say you shouldn't count them out. Uh, and I would just, again, reiterate what we've said here. You know, we like you, Senator Purdue. Uh, we like Brian Kemp where he is. And if you think that we already have a governor and that we need a United Republican Party, the best thing you can do, I mean, you could really be a leader here, is show up to the governor's office or the mansion and endorse him publicly. Yeah. You know, and just unite us. Well, I, I think I'll reiterate what I said about the the uh, comment, the the quote from a person close to Stacey Abrams. Again, this is a person who's not on the record. Why won't people go on the record? If you're going to make these bold pronouncements, why don't you go on the record? Uh, yeah, I, I I think. Well, I, I, we also have to recognize there are all other people with all sorts of interests. We don't know. I trust Greg Bluestein. He's an honest reporter. He's always been fair to me. I think he's he's a straight shooter. But I'm not saying he's been played here. However, there are all sorts of people with other agendas. Is this a this person close to Purdue? Is it a campaign person who would stand to make money off of a David Purdue candidacy? Is this a person close to Donald Trump, who uh, we know that, that we know that Donald Trump wants him to run? Is this a person whose allegiance first lies with Donald Trump as opposed to to uh, Senator Purdue? We don't know because this person won't go on the record to say this. So I think, you know, I think the same thing with the Abrams quote. I think we take these things with a grain of salt. Uh, anonymous sources uh, should be taken with a grain of salt, unless, of course, they're anonymous sources that come to us and provide us with information. <laughs> we believe them wholeheartedly. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, even then, I, I take great pains before I write, before I put anything in writing. If you come to me as an anonymous source, I will try to verify with another yes. anonymous source what you said to me. Right, um, and again, is, we're not yeah. we're not saying that you know Greg Bluestein is a good reporter. We're not saying oh, yeah. that, that this is inaccurate quotations in any stretch of the imagination. However, I, I think we just need to we need to cool our jets uh, on right. this because we we see what David Perdue said publicly, and then we have an anonymous source that wants to contradict that. Well, well, you, I, I prefer to I prefer to hang my hat right now until we hear otherwise right out of David Perdue's mouth that he looks at this and says, we already have a governor. Right. Well, that's what he said. And those those words are very encouraging. But to your point about people having a financial or vested interest in the success oh, yeah. or failure, even they don't really care if you if a candidate wins or loses. What they care about is that they're part of the campaign and get paid for yeah. a while running a campaign. And to that end, in the same article that Bluestein wrote about people trying to walk back, uh, he points to a social media post where a bunch of the David Purdue campaign team got together and posted a group photo and the hashtag was Team Outsider, uh, which is one of <laughs> David Purdue's U.S. Senate 
campaign yeah. slogans was he was a political outsider. He was well, he the outsider. Yeah, I mean, everybody's an outsider until they're an insider, and then you can't say you're an outsider anymore. You, and certainly David Perdue would not be able to say he's an outsider anymore, having served a full term <laughs> Even in when the he's, U.S. Senate. when he's clothed in the denim jean jacket. Right. He I was, mean, he was the, not the an folksy, yes, yeah, the folksy denim jacket. The bottom line there, though, is uh, I'm more impressed by the commentary coming out of Golden Isles down there saying – we already have a governor, and I want to help unite the Republican Party. Again, the way you do that is go ahead and endorse yeah. Brian Kemp, which is our next topic, because a bunch of people are doing exactly that all around Georgia, including 107 elected officials who are, I can guarantee, are the most popular people in their own county, sheriffs of yep. various counties throughout. Over 100 of them got together. Most, most and- folks love their sheriff. Yeah, I mean, I do. I love you know, Frank. If you're watching, love you, bro. You know, you're <laughs> you're higher than Chuck Norris in my in my estimation. And uh, yeah, so I, I I love my sheriff. Everybody loves their sheriff. It's the most popular elected official in every county, and you got a hundred of them plus mm-hmm. who have said Brian Kemp is our guy. And and so we see now that the Brian Kemp campaign is really starting to ramp up. If the their conservative bona fides by getting people who are traditionally on the right law enforcement in this case, uh, uh, well over uh, 130 legislators have already endorsed. They're not going back on their words. So you have, you have grassroots support from the Republican side supporting Brian Kemp, and he is taking the David Perdue threat very seriously. Yep. Oh, additionally, uh, attorney general Carr and uh, insurance commissioner uh, King uh, endorsed Brian Kemp as well. And you think, well, you know, fine, that's not that big a deal. However, these are two gentlemen who have to look out for their own. They're up for re-election too. They're not facing a primary challenge, but they do need, <coughs> excuse me, they do need a united Republican Party in order to win. Because if, you know, as we've talked before on this on this podcast, if if Republicans stay home, if you know, if certain Republicans who are angry at Brian Kemp for whatever reason stay home, it hurts the entire ticket. So these two gentlemen sticking their necks out on behalf of Brian Kemp puts them in the line of fire from these angry uh, Trump first Republicans, yet they still did it uh, because I think they're, they're looking at the unity of the Republican Party uh, being, being incredibly important and, and important for the governor's reelection, important for their own as well. Right. So, uh, right. And it's a big deal. I'm going to throw you a curveball because we're talking about endorsements. Uh, we didn't mention this race at the beginning. Uh, however, I figure you can handle it, Buzz, because education is right. your, your go-to topic. But John Barge announced he's running uh, to he's primary running. Richard Woods for the GOP nomination for the, the education spot. Yeah. I mean, look, um, Barge is an interesting fellow. Uh, ran for Congress in the interim, ran, you know, uh, uh, ran for governor. Uh, uh, primary after- Nathan Deal. Primary Nathan Deal didn't didn't go very well for him. Uh, ran for Congress in the uh, seat that Marjorie Green uh, eventually won, um, and now he's trying to make the comeback on education. I, it'll be interesting because I don't really. I mean, we talked about this last week. You look at what happened in Virginia. There is a there is a way to talk about education that can really uh, light your campaign on fire. Uh, will John Barnes do it? I, I don't know, <laughs> because that that uh, you're, you're running, you know, the, the school superintendent, state superintendent of schools is, is a very interesting position. You don't have as much power as as you think you do. You're accountable. You have to appear before the state board of education uh, once a month and answer questions from them. All of those people are appointed by the governor. Uh, your funding is at the mercy of the of the legislature, who uh, all have opinions about education and how you should do your job. Uh, every governor runs on an education platform. And then you have 180 school districts in Georgia, all with school boards who all have thoughts. Uh, so you're, you know, you're kind of this person that's caught in the middle. If you're you know, to, to run the kind of campaign, you know, to, to talk about education the way I think Republicans need to talk about education, uh, I, I don't see John Barge talking that way so no offense I, i've personally like mr barge we've we've run into each other numerous times 
and I, I think he's a, a good and decent man, as I do Richard Woods. But um, neither do you think he's a guys... school choice guy, though? I mean, the whole reason he neither of them are neither yeah. of them are right. I mean, uh, the the that's camp... what I want, but neither of these guys are, and that the, the, they don't, neither of them, frankly, excite me very much. Yeah, I mean, I... the the Democrat that's announced uh, uh, Howard out of Cobb County. I always felt that Richard I... Woods would come around on that but the moment he became superintendent of schools he like totally gave up on the school choice yeah uh, issue the the and john barge frankly while he was there was a, an, an opponent to school choice at every opportunity yeah. i remember as right. a state legislator having a bill that would allow recipients of the of the special needs scholarship to take a year off from it and try uh, alternate methods of education outside the classroom like homeschool or religious school or you know and it once they became qualified because the kids if the kid's autistic he's going to be autistic right if he's blind he's going to be blind if the right. if the child is deaf they're going to be deaf and these are the, the things that allow a a child to get a voucher from the state for the state portion of their education dollars it's called right. a special needs scholarship anytime you tried to to make tweaks to make sure that that was protected for those kids right the state department of education would fight you left and right and it didn't matter if it was john barge or richard woods because yeah. richard woods sent somebody to come talk to me and try to convince me to yeah. not do this and it was the most simplest smallest dollar figure impact you can have on yeah. making sure that kids at least had a shot at trying everything they could and still be supported by the state in their education so i i'm not impressed by either one of them frankly i i but the campaign ad for john barge what his announcement video it was like he watched the election in virginia and said let me write that down let me write that down i'm gonna write this down and and i mean he he sounded like glenn youngkin is what he sounded well, like and that's how he runs um you know the the, the he'll, he'll catch some fire I, I you know but that's not who he is it's just not right. who he is and right. that's what's annoying to me because of having watched him and served in the legislature while he was state superintendent uh, it's just yeah. not who he is. And, no, and so everybody can, everybody can, you know, human beings are capable of learning. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to, but always be listen. wary, yes. leery of the person who runs for an office, fails, runs for an office. Cause here's, right, fails. Cause here's the thing. Here's the thing about state school superintendent. I, I think this is my personal theory. I think they lose sight of who their constituents are. Their constituents really are the parents of Georgia. Yeah, we have kids in uh, in in Georgia public schools, traditional public schools. But they become advocates for the education establishment, right? And they not think, the kids. They end up thinking that their constituents are are superintendents. Yes, and that that is not who they're. There's only 180 of them. Right. There's uh, 1.8 million or some children in traditional public schools in the state of Georgia, uh, with 3.6 million parents. And, those are the those right. are the constituents. And, but I don't think Richard Woods is all that concerned because he came out yesterday uh, in light of the John Barge announcement over the weekend and went ahead and endorsed Tyler Harper for ag commissioner. So uh, okay. that's that's where Richard Woods' mind is right now is supporting Tyler Harper. <laughs> but uh, so Fine with that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So uh, moving on to redistricting, that's, you know, the popcorn is not here with me tonight. Uh, <laughs> the visual gag. Is but it's popping, that's for sure. Oh, man. it's There are things popping down there at the state capitol. The Gold Dome was uh, alive and electric today with debate around the house-drawn maps. And I think they I heard that they made some tweaks, but not enough that would be substantial to make huge headlines or changes. Uh, you were talking on the pre-show about who was drawn together how how's that looking yeah i think uh, a friend sent me this uh so uh and i think as you and i were talking about it there there might be some others uh who fit this bill but you know just looking at incumbents that were that were drawn together uh paired together so among democrats here in, here in my home in Cornet county we've got shelly hutchinson and rebecca mitchell of snellville both of, of the Snellville area, Viola Davis and Billy Mitchell in the Stone Mountain area, Betsy Holland and Shay Roberts in Buckhead, um, uh, Wayne Gilliard and uh, Derek Mallow down in on the coast, and and two of my favorite guys, uh, uh, Mac Mac Jackson and Brian Prince, 
in the same district among Republicans. So let's talk uh, about that for just a second. Yeah, we'll, we'll get the Republicans. That's, that's a in lot a of incumbents drawn together. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about. Yeah, that's just on the Democrat side. But right. let's focus in for a minute about Mac Jackson and Brian Prince. I sat next to yeah. Brian Prince for a couple of years. He was my seatmate before before Vernon Jones came, and he, just a nice guy, right? Quiet, yeah. reserved. Has he? Do you? Are you aware of anything that he would have done to draw the ire of you know of anybody? Really? I mean, even. No. Yeah. No. Um. I'm really shocked by that because Mac primarily Mac Jackson has been very friendly to everybody. I, I actually yeah. was in the same office suite as Mac. Mac is one of the only re, uh, Democrats to vote for the heartbeat bill. Mm -hmm. uh, so he has been an ally on some key strategic things for Republicans in the past. Yeah. It's, and he's a man of faith. He regularly participates as pastor of the day, uh, yep. you know, which is, a great honor to be pastor of the day one time, but he's been pastor of the day many times, even as a member. Yeah. He, I'm confused by why you would pick yeah. Mac Jackson and Brian Prince and lump them together. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you know, we know that there is enormous pressure uh, because of shifting population. The population in Georgia is shifting away from South of I-20 uh, mostly, mostly to the Metro Atlanta area, but to North Georgia. So I get it. There's pressure, but there's pressure every time you draw these maps. <laughs> and I mean, this is, and many of these, you know, are not, you know, uh, we, we've got Snellville, Stone Mountain, uh, Buckhead. Uh, you know, th there, there's others that were drawn together, but w William Bodie and David Dreyer uh, would have been drawn together, but William Bodie is is running for statewide office. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there's David Dreyer, who's also publicly dating B. Wynn, who was running for secretary of state. Oh, really? They I did not in, know yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, it's all over their Twitter. I mean, they're lovebirds. Trying to be it's a really power couple, huh? Yeah. Which is interesting about, you know, residency, like where do they share? <laughs> you know, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I already did, but I'm not really going to explore it too much other than to say that, that that's a that's another wrinkle in all of that is where does where do they, if they decide to get married, where they go. Um, yeah. But that's, I guess she's answering that question by running for higher office. Yeah. She's planning to go, uh, uh, go to the Capitol there. The yeah. secretary of state's office. Right. Switch floors. So, yeah. Just walk downstairs. Mm -hmm. uh, well, good luck with that. But the, the Mac Jackson thing still, it, it stings yeah. a little because the, when it mattered the most, like the most, like life-saving piece of legislation when it mattered the most, Mac was there for the Republicans, and this yeah. is how he's thanked. And look, I, I remember when I first got uh, into office, uh, Donna Sheldon, a friend of mine, was the caucus chair, and she routinely would talk about how you know you you always want to have when you even when when you're the majority party, you always want to have Democrats that you can talk to. They're not always going to vote with you, but right. if there are Democrats you can talk to. And that you can convince to vote for for a bill every now and then, that's that's good for that's good for political discourse in the state of Georgia. The bipartisan bills are are better for political discourse. And if you drive out all the people through redistricting or through because the two parties are becoming more polarized, if reasonable folks that can sit down and talk and and uh, and, and sometimes cross party lines to vote for particular issues. If, if there are fewer and fewer and fewer of those people in the legislature, then it just makes our, our politics worse. Right. So this is I, not an I, endorsement of liberal or progressive policies, oh, no. but just being able to talk out oh. differences is, is right. beneficial for everybody. And, and Mac Jackson and Brian Prince, in my opinion, are, are two of those guys that you could sit down and talk with. They're not, again, they're not always going to agree. Uh, sometimes they, uh, would agree, but need to stick with their party. That's just how things work. Uh, but those are two of those guys that you could sit down and talk with. And it's a shame if this stands, uh, which if it passed the House, then it's probably going to stand. The Senate's unlikely to mess with House maps. Uh, that's that's a shame that you see those two guys in the same district. Right. But uh, the bill that drew the districts had every Democrat voting no. And two Republicans voting no, and every other Republican voting yes. To no one's surprise, Philip Singleton voted no. Uh, Philip yeah. has been drawn I into can't a district. Imagine he likes his new district very much. Yeah, he's he's been drawn in with a Democrat, uh, the name of which escapes us at the moment. But 
he, he's gone from a very safe Republican district to a very uh, safe Democrat district. Yeah. And uh, he fought. He went to the well today. Uh, he he has been publicly outcrying. We had uh, hearings this week in the House Redistricting Committee where people showed up from Coweta County with signs that said, don't California, my Coweta. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was extraordinarily clever. And the gentleman, I don't know what stereotypical Cowesians look like, but I imagine that the gentleman holding that sign looked like a stereotypical Cowesian with all due respect not, to Not David a Californian. Uh, the picture I yeah. saw did not look like a Californian. It did not look like California. It looked like <laughs> Coweta County, Georgia to me. Um, not to be stereotypical too much, but it did. I mean, just absolutely did. So, And don't California my Coweta fell on a bunch of deaf ears because they did yeah. not change the map and we a 100 coweta county delegation that had been 100 republican is now going to be 60 republican thanks in large part to drawing the maps the way that they I, had. I think you know there, there were there in addition to singleton there's some other um republicans who found find themselves in districts together up in cobb county sharon cooper and matt dollar although i think Matt um, has gone ahead and announced that he is dollar has announced yeah. he's not running again. So that, that alleviates that. Uh, but, you know, James Burkett, uh, Burchett and uh, Dominic Lariccia down there in, uh, in Waycross and Douglas respectively, uh, if this map stands, find themselves in, in a district together as do uh, Danny Mathis and of Cochran and Robert Prude of, of Eastman. Right. So, you know, there, there's some Republican good guys, yeah. Uh, who, who find who something's got to give and yeah. either, either, either the primary vote, either, either one or the other will, of these gentlemen will decide to do something different and not run or the voters will settle the matter for them. So, yeah, here we well, go. And, and they probably, I don't know, I haven't been able to speak with uh, Dominic or, or the representative Lariccia or, or Burchett or frankly, um, representative Mathis or Representative Pruitt. I will say Representative Pruitt has is still in his first year. Uh, right. He and that district does favor Representative Mathis. Representative Mathis and I were very close. Uh, we actually uh, were in the same office week together. Mm -hmm. So I know him very well. He's a very good man. I, I can imagine this was not something that he welcomes gladly, but right. he's also a man of his community. He's, he's a funeral home director down there, as you know, funeral home directors in South Georgia are pillars of their community in a lot of different ways. And so he, he's taken the, the, the politics naturally. And he, he also went up to the Capitol from his district with the sole purpose of getting heartbeat bill passed. Like that was his number one thing. I don't know if this means that he thinks he can check the box and go home, uh, yeah. but he is a good, he's a thoughtful man. And, and yeah, he's, He's just a good guy. Let's put it that way. I, I, I think, hate that. you know, it, it bears repeating um, many of these, the, other than Dollar and Cooper in Cobb County, these districts are in that South Georgia area that is just feeling that pressure of losing population and losing political influence. And, uh, you know, perhaps this is unavoidable, but again, it's a shame to see good folks drawn in districts together. Right. So, uh, Representative Byrd, who is going to be under the new maps, my state representative, and Representative Singleton were the only two no votes, even though Representative Lariccia, this is noteworthy, was drawn into a district where his new district is with his one of his very close friends and Representative Burchett, and he only has one precinct, the precinct that he lives in, that he currently represents, drawn into that new district. Yeah. Um, voted yes. He, you know, took yeah. Sort of jumped on the grenade and voted yes. I thought that was interesting, but why do you think Representative Bird? I, I was she just like I don't want Scott Turner in my district. Is that what she's going after? <laughs> well, because, that's what I would have done if I yeah. if I were in her shoes. But right, oh, I, I don't know. That's in interesting. That's interesting. I mean, you know, uh, I served for a while with uh, Representative Bird um, when I first got in. Um, she she's always struck me as a lady who goes her own way. And um, I, I don't know, but that, that might have just been, might have been a protest vote 
No uh, lies detected on the goes her own way. Uh, no. no lies detected. Well, give us a call, Representative Bird. Let us know why you voted against it. We'll we'll uh, we'll give you a platform to tell your story there. Uh, but at other redistricting news, we're hearing rumors of a proposed House version of the congressional map. What do you think that's going to look like? Well, that's that's going to be interesting. I mean, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, I think we. Uh, it, it'll be interesting in that. How do you? Uh, obviously, when when you're drawing these maps, the goal is if you're you know if you're the party in power, you're trying to draw maps that ensure uh, whether it's the state house, the state senate, or the congressional maps that uh, your side holds is able to hold the map for ten years until the next redistricting. So that's ideally what you try to do. So. But you've got these two suburban districts, uh, the seventh where I live, this mostly Gwinnett County and some of Forsyth County, and then uh, Lucy McBath's, uh, Democrat Lucy McBath's district here in the sixth. And, you know, what do you do with those districts? Do you try, there are some folks out there who say that they should uh, draw those, since they're, since they're in the mood to draw people, uh, incumbents in together, that you just draw those two incumbents in, into the same district. And create Republican districts around them. Um, I I I don't think that's a good idea because I think you you know uh, voters may have thoughts on that and may <laughs> reward Democrats. And I think if you're going to have to you know the Senate map uh, you know makes a choice and decides that uh, to cede the seventh uh, to the Democrats and uh, take a shot at a new sixth district that might be more friendly to Republicans. Um, you know, so I, I, that's probably a better approach than trying to get rid of, you know, and another approach would be rather to, uh, tweak both the sixth and the seventh to try to make them more friendly to make both districts friendlier to Republicans in an attempt, you know, nationally Republicans are trying to take over the house. They only have, they only need four seats or so. Uh, so what if we could pick up two of them here in Georgia, that'd be quite a feather in our cap, but that's a that's a dangerous game. So I think probably you know w- whether you like the Senate map or not, probably making a choice to strengthen one of those districts and make it a solid Democrat district and take a shot at claiming one of them back is probably a better approach. Uh, but yeah, I'll be interested to see how the House tackles that question. Yeah, and I, and and I also wonder how current events with Carolyn Bordeaux being more moderate in some of the policies versus Lucy McBath would favor her with a Republican yeah. legislature and whether or not they go with the let's surrender one of them to to the Dems and take the other one back. I think Lucy McBath would be the easier target based upon yeah. policy alone at that point. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we may have mentioned this in the podcast before, but I, no, no disrespect meant to Carolyn Bordeaux. Lucy McBath is probably viewed as more of a rising star in the Democratic Party than Carolyn Bordeaux is. Right. So if you're Republicans and you can take out a person who's a rising star, uh, put her in a really tough spot and uh, perhaps defeat her, that's, uh, you know, when you're playing the long game, that, you know, politics ain't beanbag. That's not pleasant, but that's, uh, that's what you do. If you can right. weaken your opponents, that's what you do. Right. So in other redistricting news, uh, Senator Clint Dixon and your neck of the woods, is he your state senator, by the he way? He is my state senator, yes. Decided to uh, surprise the Democrats that serve in the Gwinnett <laughs> delegation by dropping some legislation that would make school boards nonpartisan and double the number of county commissioners from five to ten. Do you guys uh, really four, need? Four, well, if four, well uh, I'll, I'll correct. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, he makes the school board in Gwinnett County nonpartisan. Uh huh. Um, doesn't increase the size of the school board, but the in the county the, commission. The county commission. It's it's currently we're four commissioners, and then the commission chairman is elected statewide, uh, countywide. Or countywide, right? yeah, at large. Uh, and he adds five additional members, so we'd have a nine-person commission, uh, and nine-person and a, commission yeah. with a commission chairman. So That's do you a heck guys? Of a lot I mean, of politicians, man. I'm, I'm just gonna, I just got well, I mean, I, if I were in the political campaign consulting, I'd be all about this, I, you know, additional clients or something. But <laughs> I mean, Gwinnett, I know, money. is his you has has been growing and changing. But do you really need 10 county commissioners over there? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, a couple of thoughts. First of all, um, maybe some of the viewers can correct me if I'm wrong, but we there was a lot of debate about this uh, when uh, a similar issue when it comes to the you know the size of these boards when it comes to school boards. We had a couple of school boards that were nine members, and they were just dysfunctional, and so the legislature drew a line and said, all right, no more than seven. And uh, that, that you know, nine members is a lot of members. Well, with 10 with a commission chairman who would have the, you know, I guess I'd have to look at the legislation and see if it takes away the chairperson's ability to vote. Uh, currently, our chairperson can break, uh, can vote. And uh, our, our current commission chairman votes uh, quite frequently. Our Charlotte Nash, our previous commission chairman, generally only voted to break a tie so but yeah that's a lot of folks i mean i see it seems seven i i could i think you can make the case in a in a county with almost a million people in it that five is uh, uh four commissioners and one elected countywide is is not enough uh but adding five additional ones wow that's a big that's a big jump and um it, it's not being well received, shall we say, from uh, uh, from Democrats. Uh, let me pull up the quote. Representative Jasmine Clark had uh, had some choice words. She said that uh, black people running the Board of Education and the Board of Commissioners does not constitute emergency an emergency just because certain people don't like it. And what she was referring to. Our county commission and our county uh, commission chairperson are all Democrats and all people of color. Uh, our school board is a five-person board in Gwinnett, three Democrats, all three African-Americans. So obviously she is uh, making the claim that this is purely motivated by race. You know, we'll let the viewers draw their own conclusions. I, I think it's what Clint Dixon is doing is it's uh it's more of a it's more of a democrat republican thing than it is an yeah uh, a, a Listen, race thing i'm tired but, uh, of the whole let's just go immediately to race it, yeah. it, you know it is it, there are african-americans who are republicans yeah and you know a lot this is a republican versus democrat it's a power play i mean right. let's be honest about what it is politics it's a, it's and it's, it's politics, bare knuckle brawl, but, it's bare knuckle raw politics. But it to to go immediately to race as the, the reason why is no, that's not it. Have you looked at what the Democrats stand for? Yeah, lately, I mean, there are a lot of people in Gwinnett County. I am certain because I'm talking to one of them right now that don't believe the way Democrats do, and they're not right. going to be represented at all on the county commission in Gwinnett. Right. So to say it's about race, it's no, it's about giving voice to people like Buzz, who yeah. has a different political persuasion than they do. It's yeah. not about you can't listen when you cry wolf about race, when it's important and it actually does matter. People are not going to listen to you. You cannot yeah. use race like crying wolf. You just can't. There are times when we need to be able to point out that there are racial disparities and actually point to real things. You can't automatically go there. Yep. When you do, it's, it's, it's tiresome. And somebody like me who wants to look at things like civil asset forfeiture and can point to the disparities and how civil asset yep. forfeiture is applied to the African-American community and specific examples in Georgia. It, I'm, I'm sensitive to what you're trying to say, but if you're using it over and over and you go there immediately, right. and that's the only argument you have, I'm not going to listen to you. And, yeah, and, and this says I'm tired of the argument. Particularly in light of the fact that, you know, when I was in the legislature, there was an attempt. Uh, there was a proposal brought forward by some of my uh, former delegation mates on the Democratic side here in Gwinnett County who to still increase serve. the size of the Board of Commissioners. Yeah, they still serve there. Yeah. They so still it's, serve it's, there. Yeah. So it, why was it a good idea then? It's not a, I, I'm not saying it's a good idea or not idea. My position back then was that I had not heard from my constituents about the need to increase the size of the board of commissioners, but I was totally open to the idea. I wanted, I wanted to hear from constituents. I wanted to hold some, some town halls and discuss the issue with the public. Right. Before we went, this is a big step uh, to do this and it, it shouldn't be done without uh, understanding what the people of Gwinnett want. Do they want their, do they want more commissioners? 
do they feel underserved there's uh however um you know it's it's a little hypocritical of democrats now to say this is racism when they wanted to do this back when republicans controlled when white republicans (laughs) since we're since races and been injected into this situation when white republicans ran the board of commissioners so i I think you know scott i totally agree with you take race race is not this is not a racial thing at all right this is a republican democrat thing and to further buttress your point scott you know democrats obviously are not heeding the lesson they have been crying about racism as as the sole reason that terry mcauliffe who was a lousy candidate and a retread candidate but they're saying they're trying to certain Democrats on the national scene are trying to say, well, all these white women who voted for Joe Biden just last year have suddenly become raging racists and voted for Glenn Youngkin. So maybe what people ought to do is look at issues and look at you know debate facts instead of uh, playing the race card all the time. And so. Uh, it's a shame that it went there, but it's not a surprise. And just to be clear, there may be times when the race card is an appropriate card to play. But if yeah. it's your first play on something like this, come on, man. Yeah. Right. In the words of Joe Biden. Yeah. Lastly, tonight. Buzz, gonna, yeah. <laughs> Lastly, we need to we'd be remiss if we did not mention the passing of uh, a uh, an American hero who sacrificed so much during the Vietnam War and uh, came home and served in the U.S. Senate here from Georgia with the passing of Max Cleland. Um, I never got a chance to meet Senator Cleland, uh, but you have. And, uh, you know, we won't tell those stories tonight, but uh, and more, yeah, maybe at a more appropriate I, time. I attended. I mean, I was I was uh, uh, he, he was senator. I may, I may have the time. Let's think if I have the timing right. He was a, he was the Secretary of State for the state of Georgia, uh, ran for U.S. Senate, uh, and served a a one term, and then was defeated by Saxby Chambliss. That would have been around 2002. So yeah, I, I was a Republican Party official in Gwinnett County when Senator Cleland was still Senator Cleland, and uh, attended events that he was uh, at. Um, so yeah, I mean Scott, you're right. He he was a He's a man who served his country honorably, was injured severely, um, and uh, I may have the facts maybe a little fuzzy, but he uh, was injured accidentally um, uh, by, by falling on a grenade to try to protect his, uh, uh, protect his fellow soldiers so that, you know, he's a, a brave and honorable man, served the state of Georgia well, even if you disagreed with his politics, he served the state of Georgia well, and uh, he, he was a political giant in the state, no doubt about that. And again, this is where, just like the old days, we can say we didn't agree with him politically, but we honor him and his passing. And we're grateful for his service to our nation in many ways. Yep. And uh, we pray, we lift up his family and his friends in, in prayer this week and uh, prayers for comfort and healing for them. Uh, we're grateful that people like Max serve, even if we disagree with their politics and policies. They're here. And so from, from Peach Pundit to the Cleveland family, thank you. And uh, God bless you all. We appreciate you. And that's it. And you know, you have any closing thoughts, Buzz? Oh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I don't know if you had the chance, Scott, I watched kind of in the background, the uh, parade, the celebration parade that the Braves had uh, at 45 miles per hour. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Through Atlanta. Uh, They, they, it was certainly much slower in Cobb County as they approached the battery, but what, what a great scene. Uh, I don't know what the combined, I was, I was watching channel 11. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Jeff Hollinger and it was really cool. He, I think he provided perspective because he's, you know, I'm not saying he's old, but he's, he's been reporting on sports and uh, culture in Atlanta for a long, long time. And him reminiscing about various things, uh, you know, in the history of Atlanta and the Braves was a lot, really a lot, added a lot of uh, interesting tidbits to the coverage. But, um, you know, it was just a lot of fun to see that. And uh, Hollinger was saying there were around the estimates by Atlanta police for about 400,000. Uh, along Peachtree Street, where the Braves went, and uh, 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 humongous crowds in the Battery. I don't, I don't know what the crowd estimates were, but 
you know, it wouldn't shock me if the combined total were well over a million between the two locations of uh, Brace fans there, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And then, the, of course, um, uh, Jock Peterson, uh, you know, uh, making his statement that uh, they are those people who he yeah. thought they were. <laughs> And uh, I, I was I was watching the I was watching the YouTube feed from Channel Eleven with with my daughter sitting there, and uh, uh, he comes up and and says that, and my daughter's kind of oh we okay. are those MFers I think <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, and Jason then was here he definitely see it so and then what was funny was then Will Smith I don't, I don't know what Will Smith said but it was it, there was a long <laughs> silence there on the Channel Eleven feed so clearly they realized oh. Uh, these guys uh, are have are, are free to say you know feel free to say certain things on the microphone. So, yeah. Channel Eleven clicked in, you know, uh, stepped in and they and clearly had started drinking very early that day, <laughs> and yes. and they had earned it. I did see Jock Peterson and Blooper in Athens the next day yeah. uh, at the UGA Missouri game. Uh, he was living Jason his best Pine. life for sure. Blooper and oh, yeah. and Jock Peterson. They're yeah, which you life. know, which was ironic because. Uh, <laughs> Jock has turned down the Braves uh, option for extending yes. his contract. So he will become a free agent. Uh, we wish him the best though. He added so much flavor yeah. to the world series in this playoff run. Uh, it became a fan favorite immediately. I can guarantee you he was not that loved in LA or Chicago. <laughs> we just could not get ourselves enough Jock Peterson around yeah. here. So well, wish him the best of luck. It's got, it's going to be interesting. Cause I'm, I, I, you know, the, the Braves outfield now is loaded because Acuna is going to be coming back. The Braves have to decide what to do with Marcelo Zuna, who before his injury and before his legal troubles was a very valuable member of the Braves. And now you have Soler and Peterson and Rosario and Duvall. Uh, that's a pretty darn good outfield, but that's, you can only play three at a time. So what are you going to do? Uh, and so I, I don't, I don't blame, uh, yeah, I, I hope, I would love to find a way to, for Jock Peterson to stay in Atlanta, but certainly don't blame him looking at that lineup and thinking it's probably in his best interest to, uh, well, to put himself out there on the free agent. And, yeah. and uh, look, he's a guy with back-to-back -back world series uh, rings and uh, he makes when the Braves bank, traded for him. Money. I, I, you know, our mutual friend, Sam, I told Sam when they traded for him, the postseason experience that that guy is going to bring will be more valuable than his play on the field. Yeah. And it absolutely rang true. He, yep. he has that just chill vibe and he's outgoing and, you know, he's willing to say MFers on a live microphone <laughs> in front of 40,000 